Thanks for listening to episode 13 of the Content Performance Culture book podcast. We're talking about things you have to do to drive performance that are not related to actual content creation. So uh, very different, something that didn't exist when I grew up in print journalism 20 years ago. But today that's the thing. Here's what we have to do to drive performance and we don't even have to create content. We just have to make sure we follow best practices in email marketing and um, on our website. So let's dive in. Enjoy. Let's talk about driving performance that doesn't have much to do with actually creating content. And this is an interesting thing because, you know, by training and by heart, I'm a content creator. So why do I have to focus on things that have nothing to do with creating content? Well, the reason is because some of those things actually drive results and those are things you know having best practices on your website that can be as simple as having a readable font now we're not going to get into what's the best font to read on the web but there's plenty of experts out there who can tell you these are the most readable fonts this is the correct size uh, and of course you know the size um, works differently on different devices but there are best practices out there and following just some of the basic practice best practices can help you be more successful just kind of how it goes um, but don't also don't overdo pop-ups and interruption or interrupting interruption kind of messages now the problem with those messages is that they work so thomas pluck didn't know him uh, the ad contrarian retweeted him ad contrarian is a very very cool blog you should read if you're in the ad business in my opinion um, very snarky but also truthful. And so Act Contrarian retweeted Thomas Pluck, and Thomas Pluck said, steps for reading articles. One, accept cookies. Two, block notifications. Three, deny location to website. Four, decline invitation to subscribe. Five, stop autoplaying video ads, mute sound. Six, dismiss reminder of free articles remaining. Shrink, seven, shrink dropdown banner. Eight, click read more. Nine, give up. Of that tweet, I would say, went viral. You know, by the time I retweeted, it had like almost 7,000 retweets, 200 some comments, 24,000 likes. And so the problem is, you know, Thomas isn't wrong. That is happening. Uh, it's probably more of a media example, honestly. I mean, free articles remaining. That's not usually a blog, you know, for for a company, uh, which which is what most of the readers here and listeners are probably falling into. But the point is, we all use strategies that if we're talking about them at the dinner table, people won't say, oh, this is so awesome that that's happening. Right. Accepting cookies that happens to everybody. Block notifications. I mean, I. Um, I, I see all kinds of sites that have notifications and I know it works. Uh, I know they're hard to turn off, um, but, uh, you know, but they drive results, right? So that's, that's why people do them and they remind people of our content and we can send messages to them um, on desktop. At least I haven't seen those kind of notifications work on my iPad or iPhone. So interestingly, deny location. I don't know why some websites need my location. Uh, some certainly do when I'm trying to um, map something, for example. Um, decline invitation to subscribe. As I mentioned, um, getting people on your email list 
is a huge way to drive results. And, you know, I, I just recently, uh, late 2019, um, finally took a bunch of HubSpot certifications, including email marketing. And again, HubSpot was reiterating in the course how important it is not to buy lists. So if your business model is to buy lists, it's really not sustainable. Um, the way you build your list is you, you have those pop-ups. You have other, you know, we'll talk a little bit about uh, top of the article, bottom of the article, inline of the article, sidebar, even though there is a thing called the right sidebar blindness. So people don't actually look at the right sidebar anymore but why don't you move the sidebar to the left? So if your call to action is have people sign up, try moving the sidebar to the left and see if more people sign up. I mean, it's not it's not against the law to try that. And I've actually had projects that had quite a bit of success with that strategy. Um, Autoplaying videos, you know, if you have ads, I'm not a big fan of video, honestly, with sound on, um, you know, but but sometimes there might be a reason to do that. Remainder free articles, that's media. We won't go into that. Um, shrink down, drop down. You know, again, something else is popping up, right? Uh, I actually had one time when I was testing things, I had like three things running at once and, and they didn't even work on mobile. So one guy actually tweeted at me and said, I can't even read this because it's like three things coming up. And, <clears throat> you know, there is... Um, there was value to that at that point, and he kind of caught me as I was actually testing it live, which I, I shouldn't do either with, you know, whatever. It's been 1.5 million uh, readers roughly. So um, the read more. So there is actually a real reason to have read more. One is it does push up your page views, right? So if the read more button <clears throat> is after like five paragraphs, you get another view, right? When you click that, if you set it up that way, but it also gives me a measurement. How many people that come to my site, to my article, are only reading the first two paragraphs? And how many want to keep reading? Um, so you can, that actually does tell us some things um, about what our users are doing. Of course, today with Google, um, the way Google Analytics work, you can actually also just do a, a scroll depth measurement. So you don't really need people to do anything to be able to tell how far they're going down on your site, right? The, the scroll depth can tell you that. And of course, you can also do a heat map or something like that. So uh, that reason is becoming less and less valid, quite frankly. Uh, a couple, let's talk about some of the things that I've seen success with, that I've tried. Um, I, I still have the pop-up up on my blog. Uh, it's currently at the time of this recording, which is late 2019. It's for the email newsletter. It's not as successful as it used to be, but it's still driving some um, people signing up. Um, we also have an inline CTA. Currently, that's the book, I believe, this one, the Content Performance Culture book at the time of recording. Um, but basically, that shows up inline wherever I say, whatever the number of paragraphs is. So sometimes I set it to after the third paragraph. Sometimes I set it to go after the ninth, you know, that sort of thing. 
And interestingly, uh, so a friend of mine, a developer, a WordPress developer, Matt Thiessen, uh, he actually created that plugin. I don't know if it's in the plugin uh, repository. Take a look. Um, you know, but it's like it's called um, nth graph or something like that. So very interesting. Um, very glad he did that. For my pop-up, I use the IceGram plugin. Uh, super easy to use. Uh, I can even use it from my iPad for setup. So if you're on WordPress, that's a good one. Of course, there's many, many other different um, tools you can use, even if you're not on WordPress, if you're on other uh, CMSs. So uh, a couple different tests I did. Uh, so I ran a pop-up with for the content marketing world um, registration. And it was very specific, right? It was about me, content marketing world. It had a register now button. Uh, the call to action was pretty strong. And then uh, I also ran an inline ad spot for the marketing artificial intelligence conference. And at that point, I didn't have the updated um, design yet, which is okay. And I updated it later, but it didn't have a very strong call to action. The call to action is at the bottom. Learn more. Uh, relatively small. In fact, I, I didn't even notice it until just now that it had a call to action. I was I was going to say it didn't uh, have one. And so like in this time period, the pop-up had roughly twice as many clicks as um, the inline ad. So just this one text, uh, this one test, that's how that ended up. So, so keep trying, uh, keep seeing what works and also keep in mind what, what's your business goal right so i was trying to send people to those conferences had arrangements with them was working with them and um, certainly I, I was trying to do that but if i don't have the right audience or the right geography you know sometimes it doesn't work either and for example i i did a um did the same campaign for the des madrid conference and you know yes i have readers in europe but not as many as the U.S. So U.S. is still sixty-some uh, percent, um, you know. So not very many signups or clicks to that conference, which is in Madrid. So depending when you're listening to this, I'm still I'm speaking at that conference again, um, probably about voice search. That's in May in uh, May 2020 in Madrid. So um, if you're in that area, feel free to sign up or uh, drop me a note <coughs> to uh, touch base. Also. Last year in 2019, Google um, actually, you know, on some of those ads that, that you can create directly in the system, they add calls to action. Shop now or it has the little triangle to, um, to push on. Um, so calls to action matter if people say things like, you know, oh, people know, people know. Um, and some people do know, but a lot of people don't, right? And if you're trying to drive results, you have to be very clear that people can do something. So I just, uh, late 2019, I, I blogged about the hamburger menu on websites, and there's also a podcast over on the uh, Business Storytelling Podcast if you want to listen to that early December 2019. Not early December, late December. And basically, you know, the hamburger menu, people didn't like it when it first came about because uh, people didn't know what to do with it. But now, you know, more and more people know what to do with it. Um, so it's not as big of a deal anymore. But on the other hand, uh, also, you know, some sites, they don't just have the three lines. They call they put a menu tag on there. So they say menu. So people actually know um, that they're supposed to click on that. And again, 
you know, don't assume people know, make it easy for them to think about. Other placement ideas to drive, um, you know, conversions, to drive signups, especially for the email, I would always recommend, you know, I have it in the sidebar, the footer, we talked about that. I don't have it in the footer currently, but if you have a lot of things in the footer that people go to, you know, like a career section, about section, whatever it might be, that you know people go to, you know, put another sign up down there. Also, sometimes people scroll down to the footer immediately when they just look for the sign up form. I was actually one time, I was uh, sitting on a plane with a, the, a guy and he said, I want to sign up for your blog. And he immediately uh, went to the site and scrolled to the footer and it, it wasn't there. So something to think about. Um, right there. Top of the article still is a good place to put it, um, the sign-up form. And, you know, I had a lot of success with that. I don't currently have it there because I'm currently focusing at the time of this recording on converting people to hire me for projects or hire me for uh, my next role. So that is currently a call to action uh, to hire your next CMO, CCO, CDO, um, you know, in one of those areas. All right, so now you have people signing up for your email. That's great. That's awesome. That's a good step. But you have to use all that content you're creating also in your email. And what's interesting today, the current state is that a lot of companies just send out emails when they publish new content, right? And that's great. That's a very content-focused model. I do that too. In fact, I use the Jetpack plugin on my WordPress site automatically, you know, it sends people an email, whatever they sign up for. They can sign up to get it immediately. They can sign up to get it once a day. They can sign up to get it once a week. So if I publish eight times a day, some people get eight emails, some people get one, and, you know, some people get eight times seven, um, you know, in one email, the one email they get per week. I don't publish multiple times a day, typically, um, maybe once, uh, one time per workday, but uh, same with the blog, uh, same with the, the podcast for the business storytelling podcast. Um, but why not put people into a cadence? So you got all this old existing content, right? Why not send them that old content um, if it's still relevant? And WordPress does that actually very well automatically. So what WordPress does, the Jetpack plugin, you sign up, it sends your email saying, please confirm. Once you confirm, it sends you another email saying, thank you. And and I, it's like, well, how many emails do I need? But at least we're making sure we have permission. And that's, that's of course, good. Um, and then it sends you like three or three to five articles that you might want to read. And it automatically pulls the ones that are currently the highest performing. So um, that's one way to do it. Uh, but but why not go back? Why not send your emails, your content over and over and over? So for example, let's walk through this cadence. So when I talk about cadences, I mean, what what's the frequency you send to people? How often? Um, what's the interval? You know, that's basically a cadence in email marketing and, and, and really a content performance culture. So let's say on day one, they get that thank you email with a link to download something valuable or your favorite and most relevant blog post, just an example. Very similar to what WordPress does automatically. Um, and it, you know, it, it can add value if you send them something um, that's 
interesting. On day seven, send them evergreen post number one, um, you know, and something that's still relevant, something that you know people click on. So so that's why it's important to use a good email marketing tool. Uh, HubSpot is one, Marketo, um, Salesforce has versions, uh, Pardo, and I mean, there's others, right, um, that you can look at. Uh, MailChimp, you might look at that. That's um, a little bit more on the consumer uh, end, but um, but you can take a look at that. So on day 14, they get all the published content in the in the last week, right? So now they're catching up. Now they're basically back to where uh, where everybody else is, uh, what everybody's getting. Day 21, evergreen post number two. So this has nothing to do with what was just published, but you're sending content that you know is performing uh, and that people find interesting. And so the more you know about those um, people, those those subscribers, the more you can also uh, customize that send, right? So if they are, if you know they're interested in one topic over another, maybe you send an article that doesn't have as many reads as another article, but that's more relevant to them. And, you know, many of these company blogs, I mean, even AuthenticStorytelling.net, there's like 1,200 articles on there or something like that. Uh, there certainly is a lot of content that can be reused, updated, and pushed forward. I mean, I've worked on projects where there's like 30,000, 60,000 pieces of content. Um, that's a ton of content. I mean, there's no way you can't find stuff to put into a cadence. Uh, day 28 new content catch up. So again, you know, that's only like two weeks. And if you're publishing a lot, you can certainly uh, catch up and send all that content right then. The only uh, caveat I would ask for you to consider is if you have breaking news, something that people really need to look at right then, uh, find a way to send that. Um, But you could push the next send. So if you're sending, you know, breaking news on day 20 and day 21 is a scheduled send, day 21 just pushes to day 24. Or it could even replace day 28 and day 28 becomes day 35, for example. You kind of get the idea. Um, So every once in a while, send people an offer. Right. So I do that, too. Um, Here's a deal for the book. So right now um, you can actually get a discounted version of the content performance culture book. uh, PayPal.me forward slash C trap forward slash nine. The books, they're not available until February 4th. So depending when you're listening to this, um, that's when they'll be shipped. Um, Maybe a little bit earlier, but, um, you know, they have to get printed and all those different things. Um, but, you know, I might send an email with that offer to my email list. But I don't just send offers. I send them when they're relevant. Um, so something to think about. I, I'm a big fan of strategic um, person persona-based cadences in email marketing. Uh, you do need some of the right tools to do that. Uh, oh, the, one, the other one I like to mention is SalesLoft. As a salesperson, that's a fantastic one. You can put your own um, cadences in there. And the only downfall, I guess, for lack of a better term, is it's not email marketing, right? It's not You don't send it like the marketing team to 100,000 people. You send it just to your list. So that's the point. It's still one-on-one, but you can add people that you have talked to into the cadence and then you know follow up with them as well by phone. 
The other thing to think about is when do you link to other people's content? So uh, let's say you have a small team and who doesn't, everybody has a small team. I've never seen a marketing team or a content team that has enough people. Never, ever have I seen that. And uh, we can always use more people. We can always use more content. Uh, you never catch up. We already talked about that on this podcast as well. Um, so sometimes consider thinking, uh, consider linking to other people's content. Um, would I link to my competitors? Absolutely not. Most likely not. But if you think about it, a lot of the marketing people out there, uh, we are competing for some of the same things, right? So we can't call each other frenemies, I guess, or friendly, but we're also competing. Um, so one thing that actually happened at the Marketing Artificial Intelligence Conference in Cleveland in 2019, inaugural conference there for AI and marketing, and I attended that, covered that. Uh, very interesting. I ran into Jared Loftus, and he is the chief revenue officer at, uh, I think it's pronounced Raza.io, R-A-S-A dot I-O. And so they do uh, smart newsletters. And what they do is they link to all kinds of different companies, all kinds of different articles. Um, and very few other articles are actually from them. So I'll give you an example here. The one that's in the book um, as an example uh, how AI-based email marketing can increase ROI, expert perspectives. That's by MarTech Advisor. Then they got another article from the Google Research blog. Um, they have an article from CIO.com, uh, Science Daily. They linked to my blog before. Um, and so the content is from other people, and they're linking to them, right? And it's relatively easy to figure out what to click on. It says there's a Read More button. And um, so people can click over. And of course, people appreciate the traffic. I certainly always appreciate when people link to me. Uh, but then they have calls to action to to the things they actually sell, right? So 15 ways to improve your newsletter. That's them, I, I believe, make your newsletter better. Um, so those things go to them. Uh, you have to remember, not all traffic equals revenue anyways. Um, some traffic is just for awareness and uh, why do they need traffic, right? I mean, they already have the people's email because they just emailed them. So they're trying to bring them value. And this is one way to do it. Um, so something to think about how um, how you can perhaps do that. And then when you get to their own website, when you click on their calls to action from the newsletter, they got immediate conversion points, you know, get a quote in minutes, automate your industry newsletter, et cetera, et cetera. So think about the different things. How do you, uh, first of all, create fantastic content, of course. How do you update fantastic content to maximize it further? But what are the other things that need to happen to actually drive results and they're not always related to creating more content. They're sometimes created to updating workflows, to um, updating your newsletter, to, you know, um, things like that. Until next time, thanks for listening. I'm Christoph Trapp, the author of Content Performance Culture.